Hello, and welcome to The Stinger, a superfan's guide to the latest in Marvel, Star Wars, and other nerd entertainment. Joining me on today's episode are two guys with brains and muscle. That's right, it's Trent Neely and Joseph Sneed. How we doing, guys? Doing great. Happy to be back. Yep, doing awesome. Always happy to talk about Star Wars with you. It's a great time. Uh, Joseph, if I if I may, uh, I have to brag on you as we start out today's episode. Uh, a man of many talents. Uh, not only does Joseph know a lot about Star Wars, he's really good at uh, uh, photographing Star Wars as well. Some, took some pretty <laughs> some pretty uh, iconic pictures of some of his uh, Star Wars collectibles in the snow in Danville, Virginia today. Made it look like Hoth. I got to say, you did a great job. Well, you know, I, I was a little disappointed there were trees in the background. I don't know any forests on Hoth, but uh, yeah, it was a fun little thing to do. And was uh, I'm on work from home right now, so you it was uh, it was an idea that I was using while I was waiting on some stuff to load. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, you crushed it. Uh, I think you put the I think you put the picture on Instagram. So. You know, it's out there. It's out there for people to see. Just, a, yeah. I mean, honestly, like, technically, we don't know that there's not force on Hoth, right? I mean, like, there's no way we've yeah, seen I mean, all the planets. So, I mean, hey. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the Sarlacc could re- re- recess itself all the way down into the pit. Who knows? It's just, <laughs> it's all stuff that hasn't been uh Hasn't been yet. explored. We're adding to the lore as we speak. You know what I mean? Like, Lucasfilms, if you're listening... We're we're coming up with the real magic right here on this podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So today we're gonna give our thoughts on episode four of the book of Boba Fett. This one titled "The Gathering Storm." Uh, we have it, it was a it was an interesting episode. I, I want to wait, you know, to get everyone's thoughts till after you know we recap. But it was an interesting episode. Got got some more flashbacks. You know, just in general, kind of explored a little bit more of Tatooine. We may not have as many thoughts on this episode, but stay tuned for after our recap of this episode. There were two pretty sizable trailers that dropped this week. One in the Marvel Universe. We got our first, not our first look, but we got our first official trailer for the upcoming series Moon Knight starring Oscar Isaac. I'm excited to talk about that with you guys, and also, we got the title announcement for the rumored Amazon Prime Lord of the Rings series, and that's called The Rings of Power, so we get to talk about that. I, there's you know, there's not a lot, of, a lot of breakdown to give for that trailer, but um, I'm, eager to, I'm eager to talk what you guys are excited about for both of those. You guys watched both the trailers this week, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Um, okay, so without further ado, let's uh, let's take a look at the mission report, January nineteenth, twenty twenty two, and let's go over the key details from this episode of the Book of Boba Fett. So this episode, again, written by John Favreau. This one directed by Kevin Tancharoan. I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly, but you can you can look up his IMDb or something. Um, the episode opens in flashback with Boba Fett scoping out Jabba the Hutt's palace. Uh, he later notices after after he decides, you know what, not going to ambush the palace, too many guards. He notices some flashes of light in the background of the dunes of Tatooine. And he rides his Bantha to check it out. When he arrives to the scene, he finds Finnick Shand dying on the sand. We connect the dots here that this is taking place moments after episode five of season one of the Mandalorian. That was a really cool callback for me. I don't know what uh, how y'all reacted to that, but like I initially was like, oh, my gosh, that's right. I totally forgot. Did y'all remember she was in season one? Yeah, I did. Um, Because yeah. I was um, I was wondering, I was like, so are we ever going to see like how she and Boba like fully linked up? Because when we saw them in Mando season two, they were sort of like a well-established like fine oiled machine which was awesome but i'm like i'm like how did she get so loyal to him apologies uh as my dog winston is is continuing to go to town but yes i had i had a similar thought when this happened in the episode two was like when are we going to get their backstory of how they connected but 
Yeah, I honestly like it, it, I Joseph. I think we talked about it a little bit last week in our episode too, and you had mentioned how you know she was in season one. It, I totally forgot about that scene. Um, but yeah, it was cool to cool to go back to that moment and remember like how far in advance they had been kind of planting these seeds. Anyway, we resume our uh, our plot discussion. Boba Fett then takes Fennec Shand to a shop where a mod artist fully repairs Finnick's wound by replacing her abdomen with all droid parts, uh, getting a little, like, Darth Maul treatment here. Um, also, side tangent, don't know if you guys are familiar with this guy, but the mod artist is a pretty popular musician, Thundercat. I've listened to some of his stuff. He's really good. Collabs with some artists that I like and had no idea when I saw it that that's who it was. And then the first, like guest starring uh name on the credits was his name and i was like wait what thundercat was in this episode so anyway go look up thundercat if you don't know who he is um he was in this episode of boba fett that's crazy boba and fennec then discuss what had happened that night by a fire later in the night uh and boba wants to run things on tattooing himself he explains to fennec and uh he needs an ally like fennec shand he's he claims that he is tired of working for idiots that are going to get him killed. And I mean, not going not gonna to lie, he, he kind of was doing that. Uh, <laughs> they decide together now to scope out Jabba's palace and steal back Boba Fett's fire spray gunship, uh, which it seems like Star Wars is, is trying to distance itself from the name Slave One in-universe. It has been called Slave One for years, but uh, I, I think they're trying to go away from that name for marketing purposes. And uh, so we're going to call it the, you know, Boba's fire spray gunship here. The two then, after doing a full scan of the palace, infiltrate Jabba's palace. They take down a droid chef wielding knives that uh, gave me real General Grievous vibes. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> and then uh, and then they take down a little droid that was giving me real Dobby the Elf vibes. So I, I don't know if y'all made those connections. That That's where my mind went. Mm-hmm. So, so with the little droid, that was a droid model from the Clone Wars. Um, trying to figure out what the model of it actually is, but if you remember in the Clone Wars movie, it's uh, it's a droid when Obi Wan is kind of shooting the breeze with the general buying Anakin and Ahsoka some time. Let's see, it's it's the the BNI droid, aka the bunny droid. <laughs> oh, that's adorable! Um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So it, it's it's mainly from the Clone Wars. So when I was watching it, uh, it was kind of funny because I was by myself and I was sitting here, and and usually when I sit and watch Star Wars, I'm generally quiet, which I was this time. But in my mind, I was like, "It's the bunny droid! It's the bunny <laughs> droid from the Clone Wars." <laughs> Uh, that's incredible so i was i was excited seeing that one yeah and then uh a general grievous knife droid is scarier than general grievous <laughs> honestly because like it, you would think that like a droid that's a kitchen droid would only be programmed to like you know cut up some vegetables and make a nice stew or something but like dude instantly went into attack mode like he was ready to like chop some stuff up with those um machete blades and butcher knives and i was like all right like very adaptable piece of machinery there. Seriously. That's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, that's like, you know, if you if you look at any of the, like the medieval or knights movies where you, you walk into a, but, a butcher shop and the first image you see is a piece of meat on the table and then, bam, the knife slams down. You're like, oh, this butcher ain't anybody to, to mess around with. And they're like, oh, this butcher has six arms that can go 360 <laughs> degrees. It's terrifying. This is like droid uh, Gordon Ramsay. Ready to... Oh. <laughs> yeah, Disney was going to have to make him sound like R2-D2 if that was the case. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, you know, after they take down these very uh, peculiar droids, they make their way throughout the rest of the palace, and after a series of fights, they're able to reclaim the gunship, and Finnick and Boba take off. Inside the ship, Finnick implies that basically she's following Boba now. Uh, hasn't really committed, but her intentions is to follow Boba. And Boba says he's got some uh, scores to settle. And he begins settling his scores by taking down a group of Kenton Striders just 
just casually strolling down the block in Tatooine and their speeder bikes by just sniping them all from above in his ship. And oh my gosh, it was, uh, I mean, like, personally, I was, I was hyped because, you know, they killed all of our Tuscan friends and he just made such quick work of them. That was, that was pretty phenomenal to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so after doing that, this is where things get a little complicated uh, from a science standpoint. <laughs> but, but Boba Fett takes his gunship and hovers over top of the Sarlacc pit. Uh, you know, physic theories out of the way. I really loved this shot. The ship comes strolling over top of the Sarlacc pit and Boba says that he's looking for his armor. Because it must have gotten lost in the Sarlacc pit when he was entrapped in there. Um, after they couldn't really find it with the ship, and the ship actually gets uh, in a little bit of a, a tangle with the Sarlacc pit, uh, Boba has to actually release uh, the greatest sound effect—the fe- greatest sound effect in Star Wars, right, Joseph? I think it's the greatest sound effect ever. Ever, it's, period. I mean, yes, it's it's. It's so cool. It's the coolest sound effect they could have possibly done. And uh, Fennec is reaching for the switch. And I was like, they're not going to do it, are they? <laughs> and then it pops out and I said, oh, the Sarlacc is toast. He's getting nuked. <laughs> Gets and then it cuts, to that, nuked. It, get, it cuts to that amazing shot to him. The ripples like going out from under yeah. the sand dune. like. Oh, I, uh, I, I straight up thought the the entire sand dune was gonna kind of liquefy because if <laughs> you know getting into the science of it, if you send vibrations like that into into some soils, it'll just turn into liquid. You see this a lot with um, with landslides and some other some other things uh, with large earthquakes that the soil is just like boom turns to mud. And I was like, oh, Java sail barge is toast. Boba Fett's gonna be stuck for a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I was, but anytime I get to hear the sound effect is oh. great. It's it's why in um, when you're playing the space battles in Battlefront Two, you're like, oh, I got to play as a slave one. I don't care if I don't hit anybody. I just want to hear the sound. <laughs> it's honestly a beautiful sound, and I was really excited. Joseph, you texted me before the episode, and you're like, "There's two really big things in this episode, and we'll get to one of them later." But I knew when the when the bomb dropped, I was like, "Okay, well, this is the first thing he was talking about." Yeah. I, uh, you've got a special affinity for that sound bomb, and it's great. It's it's uh, it's fantastic. Um. So after they blow up the Sarlacc, Boba then crawls into the pit by himself, no armor on, and can't find his armor. Uh, he then escapes, and, you know, Finnick tells him to hop in the Bacta tank, and it's kind of implied, like, is this why he has to get the Bacta treatment so frequently now? We could talk about that later, but I, I thought that was an interesting point that may have been made by this episode. Um, they then hop uh, back and uh to the gunship and head off uh later fett and shand discuss why boba wants to take over as daimyo and they both kind of exchange their ideas about their careers as bounty hunters boba explains that uh the tuscans taught him you can only go so far without a tribe and he's kind of using this conversation to recruit fennec shand as an ally as he tries to become uh daimyo all right so they, we then uh, move on from this discussion and uh, we leave the flashback scene and come back to the present day. Boba awakes from the back to tank and he goes in search of recruits for the waging crime war that's happening in the present day timeline. After witnessing him rip an arm off of a Trandoshan, Boba Fett then recruits Chrysanthemum to work uh, with him. As this waging war, uh, that was just a wild scene. I'm sorry. It's hard for me to mentally move past that. That was a wild scene. Mm -hmm. Um, So he recruits Chrysanthemum to work with him. He then hosts several crime bosses for dinner at the palace. And he proposes that they help him fight off the Pike Syndicate. After he proposes this, uh, the crime bosses, they don't really like the proposal. Uh, So Boba instead asks them to stay neutral. And refuse to join the Pikes in this fight, uh, claiming that he will vanquish the Pikes if they just stay neutral and stay out of his way. Uh, the the group seems to agree. Don't know if we can trust their word. You know, I, I, I these are crime bosses. But the episode closes 
with Shand asking Fett, how many credits do they have? How, how many credits you got stored up? Uh, and uh, Boba, Boba's like, oh, we got plenty. We got that money. You know what I'm saying, Finnick? And, uh, and then Shand hints at buying some help for their battle. And is that Mando's music I hear in the background? I believe mm. it is. That's right. Uh, the Ludwig Gordson bass drop of the Mandalorian theme plays in the background. And I am just giddy at the sound of that. And that would be the second big thing that Joseph was referring to in his text. So yep. now that we've covered the main details of this episode, I'm ready to discuss it. Let's gather our thoughts and opinions. Let's slip on our Jedi robes, enter the council chamber and discuss everything there is uh, to be discussed with this episode. So guys, what are your general thoughts on the episode? How does this one compare to, to the other ones we've seen? So to, to paraphrase a, a Joseph quotation from when you all were doing Mando season two episodes, um, I didn't like this one as much as the tribes of Tatooine, but, mm-hmm. but this is probably my, my favorite one besides that one. Um, I, I really like a good, like buddy cop dynamic. So I really like that the whole episode's just like him and Fennec Shand just kind of hanging out and taking care of business for a lot of the flashback stuff. Um, and, and seeing what sort of what we were talking about earlier, seeing sort of, um, in a sensible way, like, oh, this is why she's loyal to him. Cause it's like, by this point she's repaid her, her life debt of him saving her life. And so it's like, why else would she stay? And so that whole conversation of him being like, Hey, aren't you tired working for other people? Don't you want to make something for yourself? I thought it was a, a really good thing to introduce as to why she would actually want to stick around. Um, and so, yeah, just watching that stuff was fun. Uh, like we said, we got a seismic charge. I'm never going to be upset about hearing the greatest sound in movie design <laughs> history. Um, and and yeah, I, I like that they're they're setting sort of the final stage here for this big uh, confrontation for the Pikes. Um, again, the the my one thing with this show is the continued um, lack of I think for me personally just attachment to like I don't really care if Boba succeeds or fails. And in some ways, I'm like he succeeded, right? If the whole goal for him is to build this tribe around him, like he's already done it with Fennec and you know, he has like the, the, the biker gang, he sort of has his loyal crew. So I'm like, there's nothing left for him to achieve according to what his goals are, except for, I guess, wipe out the pikes. So I think that's the one thing just that's still nagging in the back of my head when I watch the show, but um, I still had a lot of fun with this one. Yeah. Uh, to echo what Trent said, it's not as good as the Marshall, um, <laughs> but, but I didn't, I did enjoy it. Again, not as much as the second episode. Um, I think the flashbacks have kind of run their course. And in future shows, uh, specifically the Obi-Wan and Ahsoka show, I hope they weave in the flashbacks a little better. The, the back to tank was a good mechanism, I think. <clears throat> But also you you lose a lot of the scale of time because between the Sarlacc pit and when Boba Fett finds Fennec Shand is like it's like five years. So you're sitting there like, oh, Boba Fett was with these Tuskids for five years. And then they all died and he's just kind of like, well, I guess I'll be a bounty hunter again or, or not a bounty hunter, but a a crime boss. Um, yeah, I honestly, so, if, if, if I may, I don't even know if we know for sure that he was with the Tuscans for five years. It, it, like, well, there's, unless he's just been wandering for a while, the Tuscans are the one that pick him up out of the Sarlacc pit. Right. I just, am, I'm curious, so, like what you just said, I'm wondering if how quick, how long is he, was he with them? And was he just wandering the dunes of Tatooine for like yeah, with, three to four years? With a standout character from the episode, I mentioned it to you, Josh. The Bantha. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, I she's love, a superstar. I love the. I love the Bantha. The my favorite part with the Bantha is in this episode is when Boba Fett is cooking dinner and the Bantha starts licking his lips, and, <laughs> yes. uh, and Boba Fett says, "Okay, you can have you can have this piece of Tatooine chicken or whatever." Yeah, I meant to say uh, that but, like one of my favorite bits in the show has been watching like how much of a, a teddy bear Boba is around like the creatures of Star Wars, yeah. like the Rancor and the Bantha. Oh yeah. yeah. But, but I haven't since the since the Tuscan Raiders got killed, I haven't got as much out of the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. The shot 
probably my favorite shot of the season was Boba Fett sneaking up on the the what is it the Kenton Striders? Yeah, mm-hmm. where you see the the little blip of the the slave one in the background that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then he just unloads on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that was probably my favorite shot of the season, but. I think the flashbacks have really run their course uh, and I'm sure we're going to get some in future shows. I hope they do them a little better, pace them a little better. Um, also, I still am not down with the, uh, the mod people. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I hate to sound discriminatory. They just don't feel star Warsy to me. They feel more, um, I don't know. Honestly, me and me and Trent were talking about Dune earlier. They feel like a more colorful Dune mm. thing. When I was also, yeah. I think there's there's a run in like the X Men comics where like instead of being mutants, there's like a whole group of like humans who decide to like give themselves superpowers by just getting a bunch of modifications. And so like my mind goes to like the X Men cartoon every time I see the gang, and I don't even dislike them, but my brain instantly jumps to this other piece of IP every time I see them. Yeah. So so those are some things that I still think the show needs to start pushing forward a little bit. You know, I, I don't even know if we saw the, I don't think we even saw the, the fake news biker gang in this one. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we just saw Fennec getting a new stomach, which, uh, you know, is, is fine. Yeah. Uh, another thing is if the flashbacks are over, Boba Fett, uh, calls Cobb Vanth by name. In the Mandalorian season two, and they haven't crossed paths yet. Oh, so, that's right. So I'm not sure how he finds out where his armor is. If we've got you know one more flashback in us, um, but yeah, I think pacing is probably this show's biggest problem. Mm-hmm. the The story I think is a little bit weak with some of the side characters, but it's really weirdly paced where. Sometimes you'll have an episode that's got five minutes of flashbacks. Sometimes in the, in the case of episode two, uh, the majority of the episode is a flashback. And then this one is about half and half, um, a little bit more flashbacky, but I don't think they've hit a very good balance with it. I don't think so either. I I actually, that was one of my notes was it, it just, it, while I haven't disliked the flashbacks, I've actually like those continue to be probably my favorite part of the show. Oh yeah, the, I think the flashbacks are the strongest part of the show. I right. Just, I think it 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 weakens some of the present day stuff because the flashbacks are so much stronger. But it's so jarring to switch between them. That was that's literally that was my biggest that's my biggest thing is it is so jarring to jump for, uh, like three quarters through this episode to jump to the present day and there's still exposition going on like that it it feels so strange because traditionally i mean like the story that we care about should care about the most is the present storyline especially knowing that it's connecting to these other shows that we're going to watch too like mando season three and ahsoka and things like that like we want to know we want to know what's happening in the current timeline but when you only spend 15 minutes of the episode there, it's like, it's weird. I don't know. There needs to be some stakes with the current timeline as far as like, you know, as a viewer, I'm engaged in what's happening between Boba and the Pikes and the rest of these crime bosses. But it's hard to get there when you're only spending like 15 minutes each episode kind of delving into it. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 go for it it feels like two completely different shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's there. There's not a lot of, cons- I mean, as far as continuity, they're consistent, but there's not a lot of consistency across the two. Um, the, the past ones are a lot darker in tone, a lot more serious. And then the present stuff, you've got these bright, colorful bikes. Boba Fett is a little more, he, he's not soft, but he's softer. Uh, you see a hardened Boba Fett in the, in the past scenes, but then you see these, they're right up against scenes of him, um, you know, playing with the Rancor, mm-hmm. giving jokey ish looks to black chrysanthemum, uh, and just kind of being a very laid back, uh, daimyo. 
Yeah. Whereas you look in these past flashbacks, visually they're very different, uh, mostly being in the desert. And also generally you can, you can have a couple of different ways to do a good flashback story of having the flashback be a parallel story of the present one where equal time would be given to them. And you can see the similarities and story structure. And then you can also have the past be kind of building up the present storyline, which they've kind of hinted at, but not really. Uh, I think we may get some confirmation that the Pikes were the ones that killed the Tuscans. But other than that, there's not really any connection uh, story-wise from the past stuff. So really, I think this, this almost could have been two different shows. I agree with you there. It, it does feel like it uh, could have been two different shows as well. Uh, also, uh, you, I'm just going to, you know, elephant in the room is y'all probably hear my dog Winston during this episode. Uh, for those listening at home right now. Yeah, that, that is who you just heard. He's, uh, you know, to go back in the episode, Boba's relationship with the Bantha is really like, that's my relationship with my, with my dog, Winston. There he is right there. Man, he <laughs> is like, he is here to make his presence known this episode. Uh, you know, something that keeps coming up is, are we done with the flashbacks? And it seems like we've gotten a lot of time in the past already, more so than I would have guessed. I will say, too, that I really enjoyed getting some some character motivation for Fennec Shand in this episode via the flashback. I felt like that was really helpful. Some of the show didn't, uh, didn't have in the prior episodes. However... Mm-hmm. This is, uh, you know, we're coming up on the last three episodes now, and it does seem like, is there really any story left to tell in the in the past? What, what do you guys think? Would you want to them to be done? Is there story left to tell in the flashbacks? What do you think? No, I think the only the only thing left unsaid is is exa- exactly how he got on Mando's trail for season two. Um, that's sort of like the only the only bit of in the past stuff that we don't know yet. Otherwise, I'm like, yeah, this is wrapped up. And um, if we're taking it that, you know, they've been using the back to tank as this device to initiate the flashbacks, they do say in this episode, like, oh, you're healed. You don't need the back to tank. So if we're taking them at their word on surface value there to like, I think the show is maybe saying the flashbacks are done. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Trent on that one. They, you know, the, the mechanism for the flashbacks is gone. The only thing that I think they could do is a cold open before the, the title shot of the show tying in the pikes to the murder of the Tuscan Raiders and then flash forward. But like Trent was saying, they, they have stuff that they haven't done in the past, like tracking Mando and then, um, and figuring out how Cobb Vanth got the armor, but that stuff's not important to the show. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather see them not do that in the, in the flashback. So I think they've fulfilled what the flashbacks needed to do of what's Boba Fett been up to this time. And how did he meet Fennec Shand? I think that's the only things the flashbacks needed to do. So I would like to be done with them and, and spend the rest of the time with the remaining, what is it? Three more episodes mm-hmm. to kind of get the present storyline caught up to how much time has been spent on the past. But uh, Teco Trent in a really long roundabout way. I think we're done with the flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think so too. And Trent, that's a good point. I didn't realize I, I missed the line of them saying like, oh, you're healed now. Uh, and I and I think that's a good uh, that's a good tidbit to pick up on uh, because I, I hope that is signaling not not that the flashbacks have been bad. Again, they've been the best part of the, the, the show so far, but the, we really need to care about the present timeline. And, and so with that being said, how, like, what do you what do they need to give us? in order for us to really be engaged in this, in this uh, present storyline, you know, um, they've given us a little backstory to Fennec Shan now. Um, but there's, there's some other things they could explore. What, what do you, what direction do you hope the show goes in, in, in terms of storytelling or character development going forward? Um, for me, I just think it's like kind of going what you're all saying of, um, is Mando going to show up in the next couple episodes? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what other characters could be, maybe Cobb Vanth gets in on the action, and I'm still holding out hope for my boy uh, Cad Bane to, to come in here. Um, but, but yeah, so I think for me, just, just introducing some of those characters and really seeing 
um, how this this final conflict with the Pikes here at the end of the season, presumably, um, sort of sets up what the ground level landscape of Star Wars is, presumably maybe even going into Mando season three. Like, how does the fallout with this gang war set up Mando and his thing with um, maybe, you know, reclaiming Mandalore and stuff like that? I think so. I think the show just needs to be clear of like, this is the landscape of where uh, sort of the, the criminal bounty hunter vibe of of the star wars universe that we've seen here is at by the end of the series and that's all i really want they need to give us a reason to hate the pikes mm-hmm. that too. so far the pikes are just another syndicate that boba fett wants gone so he can have his power but we don't have any reason to want boba fett to beat him because boba fett is just kind of setting up another syndicate family uh we need a, a real, we need to see the Pikes do something to someone. Now we saw them on the train killing the Tuscan Raiders, but that was just kind of a little bit of a gamesmanship thing. Cause Boba Fett goes and destroys the train. So they're even, we need to see a real legitimate reason why he wants to take out the, the Pikes and not just kind of hang out in the palace let him do whatever like he's doing with these other families. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of state the Mandalorian is in. Um, and I was completely wrong last week when I said I didn't think he would come to help. Because uh, if they play that music, he's coming. Um, but yeah, I think some motivation on why the pikes need to be defeated other than spice bad. Uh, <laughs> we is, is what we really need and what I need for the show to really kind of shine. I I'm with you, Joseph. Um, they, because so far in this show, we, we haven't gotten like a, it's weird when you think about it, we haven't gotten a true villain. I mean, obviously the pikes are being set up as that, uh, but it's different than yeah. It's I guess it's different than other stories and Star Wars that we've uh, that we've watched and where I mean like it has really been all about Boba Fett's journey, which has been enjoyable at several parts. I think actually like for me, if I if I were to like change anything about the show, I would have used the flashbacks and any kind of uh, you know whether it's through the back to tank or not to to also give some motive like some some uh, motivation for the supporting characters like Kersantan or the, the mods as uh, someone called them in this episode, you know, like uh, they did that with Fennec Shand in this one. Um, But a lot of pieces have to come together in these last three episodes to, to, uh, you know, propel the story forward. Uh, And it's, it's gotta be beyond just Boba Fett himself. You know, Fennec Shand has to have some skin in the game. So does Mando if he shows up. So do these uh, these mods, and so does Kersantan and and whoever else they decide to bring into the story too. Um, not that they don't have some already, but um, I, I hope that we get some more stakes in the real present timeline in Episode Five, uh, and hopefully, like you said, Joseph, that's showing the Pikes as the true villains uh, that they they want them to be. Uh, all right the biggest uh you know the the biggest question lingering question you know you don't play that song you don't play that soundtrack from the mandalorian you don't play that theme without mando showing up or shall i say dinjarin showing up and so i mean guys what was your reaction uh when they when they started playing that music so I didn't catch the music thing literally till you all started talking about it. Like that oh, totally went shoot, over okay. my head. Now, granted, also like my mom was doing the dishes while I was watching the end of this episode, so it could have just like totally missed me by. So I'm like literally sitting here at the beginning, like what? Like Mando music dropped? Like what? <laughs> um, but no. Um, if they introduce him, like that'd be great. I just wanted to be motivated for his character because where we've we've left off with Mando, right? It's like he's depressed that Grogu's gone. So I'm like, why does he care about this war with the Pikes? Um. Not to saying the show can't easily write something in about why he's care. Um, you know, maybe I don't want to steal any of your guys' thoughts, but may- maybe it's like he works out a deal with Boba where it's like, hey, I'll help you with this, but you got to help me with this Mandalore stuff. Like, um, I could see something like that going down. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I was excited to hear the music. I don't want it to. This is a criticism I've seen with 
season two of the Mandalorian that it became a, Hey, look, it's this character. Hey, look, it's this character. Hey, look, it's this character. Hey, look at this. I don't want the show to turn into that. Um, I think that's a fair criticism of the Mandalorian also. Yeah. I, I I love the music for the Mandalorian, uh, but I want to see why he's there. I, I know they'll, they'll pay him, but I'm looking for a motivation like Trent, you were saying of, Okay, maybe there's an agreement between the two of them that uh, Mando helped Boba out, Boba helps Mando out. Um, something that would be really interesting, I think, is if Boba Fett invites the Mandalorian to join the family, and then the family supports his bid for Mandalore. Mm, that and is interesting. Boba Fett is, Boba Fett is ruling... Uh, his crime family and not that that the Mandalorian would be like his sub ruler or puppet ruler of Mandalore, but the two of them would be in a partnership across Tatooine and Mandalore and Mandalore has like a thousand planets in its system. So you're talking about a very powerful uh, group of people if they do that, which I think is something that they may pursue. Not sure if they will, uh, from what I've heard, the ship the Mandalorian shows up in, he's going to be hurting for money. <laughs> um, I won't spoil it for you guys, but I know what, or I've heard what kind of ship he's going to show up in. And uh, yeah, he's, he scrounged that ship up somewhere. <laughs> um, but I'm. Okay. Yeah, no, I, so when the music played for me, I lost my, I lost my ish guys like that. That got me so hype. I, I, you know, I'll preface with I listen to a lot of scores of of movies and shows I love while I'm me working too. and stuff because it helps me, you know, get in the get in the zone. It's not distracting. And the Mandalorian soundtrack is the one I probably come back to the most. I mean, Lugwin Gordson is just, you know, a beast when it comes to these uh, musical compositions. And when that little theme played, it was a little it was a little modification of it too. It was a little more subtle, uh, a little muffled. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. Like when, when are they, when are they dropping this episode soundtrack? Cause I'm ready. I'm already ready to listen to this one. So that got Tomorrow. me hyped just personally as a fan of scores and stuff like that. Um, episodes one through four scores tomorrow, I think. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. That. Wow. Gosh, man, that you couldn't have given me better news right now. Uh, you know, that that that's great. So, you know, I heard I know we were talking when we just took a pause. Uh, you know, like, I wonder how many people actually like recognize that that's the Mandalorian theme. And honestly, like casual Star Wars fans, casual fans just watching this stuff, probably not. But um, so I guess if they were trying to go for a, a bigger hint than that, they should have done something different. But I don't know. I'm super excited. I'm super interested in what you had to say, Trent, too, of like, will this set up what like street level Star Wars could look like in the future? Because it seems like Mandalorian season three, you know, the logical route for that is to have, you know, this uh, war to reclaim Mandalore be the central focus. And if that's the case, then um, then I then I would think that is still more street level, more ground level. So I'm interested to see if they go that direction. And this show helps kickstart that. That would be pretty cool to me. Um, and I'm really excited to see. I think what I'm what I'm most excited to see is does Mando come back with the dark saber? And like, is he just gonna like obliterate these Pike syndicates with the dark saber like that? Oh man, that gets me hyped. Like when we saw it in the end of season two, it was looking pretty lethal i mean that that showdown he had with moff gideon to reclaim the the dark saber i don't know man like i just i want to see him show up with a dark saber because because he earned it and because it looks freaking awesome the way they've uh they've made it look in this live action star wars series that we're watching now so yeah and now i think that's gonna wrap up our discussion for the book of Boba Fett episode four. I think we all enjoyed it. Maybe uh, not as much as the second episode, but we're optimistic for what's to come. And we will be back in future weeks to recap the rest of the show, as you know. And so uh, now, now that we're done talking about the episode, 
We're going to check the Daily Bugle for the latest news and rumors in nerd entertainment. And uh, what do you know? Two major trailers dropped this week. The first one came on Monday night during the Rams beatdown of the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. And we got a Moon Knight trailer. That's right. The first MCU TV show on Disney Plus to release in the year 2022. Uh, It's going to come out on March 30th, it seems. So it looks like we're going to have a pretty sizable gap in between Marvel uh, content, which is honestly fine. We probably could stand to have uh, a little bit of a break. Um, But got a really interesting trailer of Moon Knight. What what did you guys think? What did you like about this trailer? Yeah, so I don't know a ton about Moon Knight, but I do remember, I think it was my brother-in-law a couple years ago, like, just told me when I was hanging out one day, he was like, oh, so you gotta check out this Marvel character, Moon Knight. Like, this dude has multiple personalities disorder, and, like, he may be possessed, like, he may have the powers of the Egyptian <clears throat> moon god, or it may just be another, like, alternate personality, but he, like, beats down on criminals and it's basically like marvel's batman um and i was like okay that sounds interesting um and then when i heard oscar isaac got cast i was like "Ooh, okay this is this is great like we i have a lot of complex feelings about the sequel trilogy of star wars movies but i loved um poe dameron as a character i loved his performance and i've loved um his performance in more indie stuff like ex machina and annihilation um so so i'm really excited to see what he does with such a interesting um you know, sort of front and stage uh, blockbuster thing. Um, and I think this is this is showing that Marvel might be willing to lean into sort of more darker directions than they have in the past. Um, I mean, all the rumors about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is that it's very uh, horror-esque. And so this show seems to be sort of prepping audiences for that sort of darker tone in the way with, with uh, Oscar Isaac not knowing what's real or not. Um, but I, I can't tell really anything about the plot, but I just, I think it's going to be a really interesting um, darker take on some, some Marvel stuff. And I really like what Oscar Isaac's doing in the trailer. So I don't know anything about Moonlight, but multiple personality Batman sounds kind of fun to me. So. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. The Marvel shows have been okay to really good. So, I mean, track record wise, we're not looking at a bad show that we're going to get probably. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, don't really know what to expect. Maybe could get something like Blade possibly mm. showing up, but I'm oh shoot, I'm not sure that the tone is a little darker, more nighttimey, like like Blade. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know what to expect from the story, uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah, but uh, that we don't really know much about it uh, going in, just multiple personality Batman. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it comes out March 30th. The Batman comes out March 4th. So That's March right. is going to be a very street level vigilante. Angsty. Like, Oh yeah. I was March thinking, is going to be, I was thinking that too. Angsty. When I saw the release date, I was like, huh? So we get both, uh, comic universes, Batman in the su- same month. That's, uh, that seems weird. Uh, yeah. for any, I feel like for anyone that doesn't know comics and stuff that just watches stuff because it's you know popular they're going to be like this is kind of weird is this a ripoff but um (laughs) yeah i am super excited for this show uh i don't i haven't read moon knight comics i have known about the character because i love the mcu and and follow you know all the rumors and stuff that that happens and this has been a character that i think fans have wanted to see some kind of movie or show on for a while uh and now they're getting it and i think i was thinking about this earlier like we are truly entering the unknown of the mcu now like phase four kicked off at least with some familiar characters like they're introducing us to weirder uh more high level bigger concepts uh like the multiverse in loki and in what if and in spider-man no way home but they're doing it they did it by giving us characters we're familiar with at first like Wanda and Vision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and and Loki and even though we got new characters like the Eternals and Shang-Chi uh last year this year it's like they're opening the floodgates we get Moon Knight we get She-Hulk we get Miss Marvel all of a sudden like audiences don't have a clue like no one has a clue who Moon Knight is like people might have not known who Doctor Strange was when that movie came out 
but people really don't know who Moon Knight is. You know what I mean? Like we're we're getting yeah. into the, like the deep cuts of Marvel stuff now. A exactly. Bit. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. extremely deep cut. Uh, but I like that kind of what you pointed out, Joseph, that we don't know where the story's going. I don't think anyone does because no one really like has a huge attachment to this character. And so I think for for that, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see what Oscar Isaac does. Um, you know, there's some potential connections here to Blade to the Black Knight who got introduced in the Eternals, uh, to some other characters on the darker side of Marvel. I mean, I, I know a lot of people really, I know a lot of people are, they're kind of anticipating what's it going to look like when we get Daredevil in the MCU. A lot of people think this could be a good indicator of what a Disney, a darker Disney plus show looks like. So I think for all of that, I got to say, I'm super excited. And the trailer looks crazy. I mean, like it they're doing they're going to do some stuff, some unconventional things for a Marvel story, I think, in this kind of show, Um, especially knowing that we don't have a history with any of these characters. We get to dive deep into the persona or many personas of uh, Moon Knight and Mark Spector. Uh, I'm interested how they handled the whole like multiple personality thing, too, because, I mean, that's obviously a real condition. Um so I'm interested to see how they handle that, uh, how it plays into his character. But I, I know Trent, like we've talked about it. You said this is probably like the thing you're most excited about in Phase Four, outside of like some of the earlier stuff that came. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, it's just I think for all reasons that we've all said, it's just it's so it's so unique for Marvel. Like I feel like this is honestly them. And I'm not saying it's going to be good or bad. I'm just saying this is them like stepping out of their comfort zone in a way that arguably they haven't done yet, right? Like, like um, the closest thing, closest thing, Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm about to say closest mm. thing is like Guardians of the Galaxy, where like that was a very C-list comic, at least viewed in the the public mind when that movie was made. Um, but they haven't done like a big gamble like that really since then. Like this is the first one since that. So I think it's just really cool and i think it's bold that this is the first disney show like you've sort of been saying josh that like this is an origin story like for the first time all the other disney shows to this point have been you know continuations or offshoots of the main continuity already established but to like be like hey this is your first entry point to this character who presumably is going to appear in other shows and movies i think i think it's just it's it's a totally different thing for the mcu so i hope they really kind of go crazy with it i know me too because i and i think this this should be a good sign for can they pull it off on these other shows too because she hulk will also be um a an introductory to that character an origin story so miss marvel and many of the shows that we get in 2022 and beyond past that they're going to be origins they're going to be introducing new characters so i'm very interested to see how they pull it off with this one the other major major trailer we got this week oh my gosh i i like I was getting giddy. I know Joseph either. I can't remember if it was you, Joseph or you, Trent sent the, sent the trailer of the announcement in our group chat. But man, I just like am so giddy. So the Lord of the Rings is coming back and there's been a rumored Amazon prime series that's been in the works for a very long time. And it's coming out this year, September 2nd, 2022. And it's called The Rings of Power. And they gave us a little title reveal where they literally made the title out of wood and heating up metal. Maybe I, I it, that's what it that's what it looked like to me. It looked it looks sick. But guys, what do we think? What do you, what do you hope this show becomes? I mean, yeah, I'm 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 so excited. Um, Lord of the Rings. Like, so I tried to watch it when I was a little kid. I fell asleep and then. <laughs> Like I watched it like the first time through in high school and I liked it. And then I rewatched it like in college and I fell in love with these movies. So like my, my, my love and obsession is, is relatively new when it comes to Lord of the Rings, but it, but it's grown passionate. And then um my, my brother-in-law and I like convinced my sister to rewatch the movies, like with a more invested eye for the first time last year. And she like was watching the movies on a loop for like the better part of two months after that. Um, so, so it's been really fun. So the, the idea that we're going back to middle earth is, um, super exciting. And I have, I have zero notion of what to expect, but I love that. Um, there's so much they can do that. I just want them to do whatever they want with it. Honestly. All right. So (laughs) I was about to say, Joseph, I was about to say, leave this to Joseph. Take your turn, buddy. 
I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, I've been watching the movies for a long time. I've read the books, both Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, along with The Silmarillion. And just finished The Children of Hurin uh, last week. Uh, Lord of the Rings is my number two after Star Wars. So I'm deep in Lord of the Rings. Um, This show has so much potential to be something great. Uh, The Forging of the Rings of Power, uh, which is the, the title of the show, is so complicated and complex in how they're going to do it. Uh, the show for a long time has been known as a second age show. So if you've watched the Lord of the Rings movies, those movies take place, uh, 3000 years into the third age. And if you remember the, the prologue battle in the fellowship of the ring, uh, where they beat Sauron, the last alliance of men and elves, that happens towards the very end of the Second Age. So what we're going to get with the Second Age, uh, we're going to see, you hear about them some in uh, in Lord of the Rings, uh, the line of Numenor. We're going to see the Numenorians. They live on an island uh, out in the sea. Uh, they're mariners. So we're going to see some... Um, ships, I think, not the elven ships we see that take uh, the elves to the undying lands. And uh, we're going to see what I think will be a linchpin of the series of the sinking of the island of Numenor. Uh, that event is called Akalabeth. Uh, and there are some very complicated things that go on that leads to that that's a little bit too in-depth to get with you guys right now, but uh, basically the the Numenorians worship Sauron's boss as a deity, and that makes the Middle-earth angels very mad. At this point, there's been a ban put on all men uh, from traveling to the Undying Lands, and when this happens, the world is, is flat, so Middle-earth is flat at this point. The Numenorians attempt to get to the Undying Lands, and it's been a little bit since I've read it, so either Middle-Earth God or Middle-Earth Angels completely like destroys the world so much that it turns it round, spherical. Uh, and the island of Numenor sinks into the sea. Uh, we see uh, Isildur and his dad, Elendil, are the... Uh, the Numenorians that escaped the island, they're the faithful ones that have not turned against the Middle-earth angels, basically. They come in and build the kingdoms of Gondor and Arnor. Uh, so as far as what we're going to see from, from men in the series, that's what we'll see. With respect to the Rings of Power, what we're going to see is uh, there's an elf named Celebrimbor, who is the one that that forges the rings and teaches Sauron how the rings are made. And what happens is Sauron appears as an entity called Anatar. And he does not appear as an evil dark Lord. He appears kind of as a beautiful elf. Um, imagine the Satan disguised as an angel of light type of metaphor. Um, and he learns from Celebrimbor how to make the rings. So Celebrimbor is the one that forges the rings. Sauron forges the one ring that can control all of the others. And poor Celebrimbor comes to a very, very nasty end at the hands of Sauron after all is revealed. Starting this huge second age war uh, across Middle Earth that, that ends with the last alliance of men and elves that we see at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And the thing that is not shown in that battle is when the men and elves are kind of walking across Mordor towards the final battle, they've laid siege to Mordor for seven years at that point. I think it's seven years. Um, The movies change it a little bit. Uh, The defeat of Sauron happens a little bit differently in the books. 
Um, there's been rumors that we'll see things of dwarves in the series, potentially proto hobbits. I'm uh, not sure what that's going to look like, but we're also going to see some returning familiar faces or at least familiar names since the faces won't be the same. Uh, the voiceover I believe was Galadriel. We're going to see Elrond. Um, we'll see Sauron, obviously, uh, potentially Celeborn, who is Galadriel's husband. He's the one that you see in Lothlorien. Uh, with her. I think we will see uh, Círdan, the shipwright. He builds the uh, the ships that take the elves to Valinor, the Undying Lands. Uh, and he is basically the oldest person ever because he's like 11,000 years old when the time of the Lord of the Rings comes around. We're going to see a very intricate story, if they do it correctly, a very intricate story of... Uh, betrayal, politicking around Middle-earth, inter-race conflicts, meaning between the elves, between the men, between uh, the dwarves, potentially. Uh, I have some very high hopes for the show, and also hopes that will turn into spinoffs of potentially first-age stories that admittedly will be harder to film because the first age many people think is unfilmable, uh, at least the beginning of it. So I think we're in for a good time if it's done correctly, comparing it to Amazon's most recent fantasy series, the wheel of time. That was okay. Um, I think it had some major pacing problems, uh, some major character problems in that most of the characters I didn't think were very memorable. The one who was supposed to be the main character from those books, I did not find him to be a very compelling character at all. Uh, My dad actually read the books. My dad's a huge fantasy reader. Uh, when he told me that that guy is the main character of the series, I was like, you're kidding, right? Um, so I think they're going to have to be very careful with how they write it. Because also with the Wheel of Time series, those are based directly off of books. This is going to be based off of... No one's really sure. Uh, is it based off of things from the Lord of the Rings appendices? Is it based off of actual content from the Silmarillion? Uh it's kind of murky. And even if it is based off of the Silmarillion, there's not a lot of details in there because the Silmarillion covers everything from the creation of the world to the end of the Lord of the Rings. So very long time period, but all that to say, I'm really excited for the show and want to see what it does. Yes, Joseph. I couldn't tell. I actually couldn't tell you were excited about this. Yeah, and I I don't believe that you know anything about the <laughs> Tolkien uh, catalog at all. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, you may uh, well, you, you know, might have to do a fact check on you later. You may call in one of our old friends from Virginia Tech, uh, the man, the myth, the very old legend. Uh, he's a big Lord of the Rings fan. So okay, okay, yeah. I mean, look, this is a this is something that I've been excited for ever since there were rumors that this was happening to it being confirmed. Um, I, I don't have the expertise that Joseph has, by the way, just, just, just thank you for giving us that yes. context. Joseph. Thank you so much. Joseph. Uh, that was well, like, I, I this is literally a per like a primer to what we could be seeing. I mean, that's great. Yeah. It's, that's awesome. It's real exciting. It got me excited because I have no idea what I'm going to be watching. I just know, I grew up loving the Lord of the Rings. I grew up watching like Lord of the Rings means a lot of things to a lot of people. It's like a global story that people have fallen in love with from all walks of life. Uh, for me, I mean, my dad was a big influence on just like showing this to me and my brother, us like getting so deep into the lore of it. Like we had like, we obviously we had some toys. We had a Lord of the Rings Monopoly set. Like I mean, we were like we had the we had the video games. We were 
we were deep into like whatever there was at that time when we were growing up to explore the Lord of the Rings universe. Uh, and then also like upon rewatching it multiple times, like my dad explaining like, because we, because J.R. Token was a, was a Christian, like the significance uh, that it has in these biblical themes and how it parallels uh, the story of the Bible as well. It was like, very meaningful to me and my faith and like it's cool to go back and watch it now i didn't quite understand it all when i was growing up now i now i do and i just think people have a connection to lord of the rings no matter what their their background is and so i'm i'm excited because this is like to me there's you know the wheel of time series came out and like that was cool i didn't watch it but i know people were excited to watch it but there are very few things that i think could get the entire world you know and a vast majority of the pop culture engaged and you know that's obviously we see what marvel's doing right now uh we know star wars has that power harry potter has done that in in past times and the lord of the rings has and this kind of reminds me it's different because it's not the same magnitude it's a tv show it's not an event but it has that same kind of pull of like when Star Wars came back, when we first got that first trailer for The Force Awakens of like, oh my gosh, they're actually doing it. Like we're going back to this world. Uh, that's a, that's kind of how I feel about jumping back into Lord of the Rings because it, it has been a long time since we've, I mean, we literally, I, I know The Hobbit exists. I try to not think about those movies, <laughs> uh, but this that's kind of what it, that's kind of what it feels like to me. I, I will defend the first Hobbit movie. Yeah, I will too. <laughs> I and the, it stops the, there. <laughs> the first Hobbit movie is admittedly not as good as, uh, as the three Lord of the Rings movies, but on its own, it's pretty good. Yep. I agree. Um, and also a couple of other things to mention. It's a good time to be a Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, you have Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power coming out in September. Undated, but I think sometimes this year, there will be a Gollum video game, which I'm not real hyped about, but it's a Lord of the Rings game. Um, That's interesting. I, yeah, it, there's a couple of trailers and footage of it, and it it, it looks weird. But uh, <laughs> a Hobbit, uh, uh, not a Hobbit game, a Gollum game. And then the thing other than the Rings of Power that I'm excited about was announced sometime last year. There's going to be an anime Lord of the Rings film centered around Rohan. It's called War of the Rohirrim, focused on Helm Hammerhand, who is the guy that built Helm's Deep. Shoot. Uh, it's approximately 200 years before the Fellowship of the Ring, I think. Um, and also they're working in that anime style. So it should be very unique and look really cool. That's awesome. Um, one other thing, Josh. Yeah. I didn't know you were... I can't believe it after we've known each other all these years. I didn't know how big and how much uh, Lord of the Rings meant to you. The next time I come to Richmond, my my favorite board game to play, uh, I know a lot of you guys like Catan. <laughs> my favorite board game is Risk. Oh, yeah. And I, ha- I have Lord of the Rings Risk. What? Oh, my so gosh. I, when I, Next time I come up, uh, you know, obviously couldn't come previously. Yeah. Next time I come up, I'll try and remember to bring it. Dude, uh, are you kidding me? That's amazing. Oh, Lord oh, yeah, of the Rings risk. That would I mean, shoot, I would you, you got you don't hours, too, but I would do I would dive deep into Lord of the Rings risk. Come on. Yeah, you, you don't find too many people that like risk, so I haven't played it yet. Uh but I, I when I saw that it existed, I said, My favorite game's risk. I gotta get this. <laughs> um It's uh, so it uh, Lord of the Rings Monopoly was great. I don't know if you played Lord of the Rings Conquest on Xbox 360. I was actually a late bloomer on Lord of the Rings. I didn't start watching the movies until about a year before The Hobbit came oh, out. Oh wow! Oh okay. Yeah, so gotcha. I was I was actually in I was actually in high school when I started watching the movies. Uh, I tried to watch it when I was a kid, and creepy Gollum Bilbo scared me. I didn't want to watch. Scared it the crap out of me too, man. I had to leave the yeah, room. So I, was, I legit had to leave the room as a kid when those scenes yeah, came on. Me too. Me yeah, too. So. So when that happened, I was done with Lord of the Rings for like seven or eight years. Jeez, uh, man, that wow. So did, well, hey, if you have a it like if you have an Xbox 360 or a backwards compat, find a backwards compatible version of this game. Listeners, 
as you're listening, if you played Lord of the Rings Conquest, I please beg you, let me know in the comments on social <laughs> media. That is like one of the most like I, I'm not like a, a huge gamer. I basically I basically just played sports games growing up. But oh my goodness, if I didn't have the greatest time just getting together with my with my buddies playing Lord of the Rings Conquest, uh, you know, locally, you just, you know, plug in four controllers and go at it. Literally one of the greatest games to ever have been made. I, I would put money on it. I know there's I know there's a community out there and I'm I'm dying to find it. I need to find the rest of you Lord of the Rings Conquest players. I hope that's the name of the of the game. Uh, now that I think about it, now now I'm worried. I've been like calling it the ro- <laughs> the wrong thing this whole time and got it mixed up. Uh, let me let me do some quick fact checking, real quick. I'm gonna have to because I'm gonna be embarrassed. I'm gonna have to check on on the old Xbox, see if it's if it's on there. I still have a 360. Oh yeah, it's we're good. We're good. It's Conquest. It's Conquest. Yeah. You, oh, but, so you uh, still have a 360? Yeah, I've got a I've got a 360 and an Xbox One. Uh, and my dad got the new Xbox, so I mean we're you're we cooking with gas. We, don't have, we, we just don't have the uh, the original Xbox, which is sad because yeah. some of the best Star Wars games are on that. That is true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Man, well, I don't know about y'all, but this got me real hyped for some Lord of the Rings come September. I'm sure we'll be talking about it on this podcast when we when we get yeah, there. Absolutely. You know, by the time September rolls around, we might have to have a group watch party on this one because from what I've heard. The very first two episodes combined account for three hours of runtime. Yes, Peter Jackson somewhere smiling right now. Yes. Now, now, it, now to to clarify, it is not each episode is three hours. Right. <laughs> there, there was some right. There was some confusion in the 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 Twitter posts that I saw of, of people saying, "Does that mean we're getting six hours?" It says, no, <laughs> nah, we're nah. getting three hours. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, but that's okay. But. You know, get together, have a three-hour watch party of the Lord of the Rings TV show. Oh, that sounds beautiful, <laughs> man. That sounds beautiful. I'm I'm so excited for this show. If y'all are excited out there, listeners, let us know in the comments. Get us some feedback if you want to hear about the Rings of Power when when this show comes out. But I think that's going to do it for our episode today, boys. Thank you so much, Trent Joseph, for hopping on, dealing with uh, me uh, parenting my dog, trying to, you know, rein him in, make sure he's having fun and being occupied. You know, you were here for the long haul tonight. Thank you for, thank you for your service. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Yep. Always good time. Awesome. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to leave a rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow the stinger at the stinger pod on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And We will be back next week to recap episode five of the Book of Boba Fett. Thank you all for listening.